Welcome to the podcast of Grace and Peace Church. We're glad you're journeying with us, and we hope that you find value from the teachings. If you'd like to connect or support the mission of Grace and Peace Church, check us out at graceandpeacechurch.org or find us on Instagram or Facebook. Grace and Peace. We've been, we've been on sabbatical. Um, I want to share a little bit just of what that's been like from my perspective because uh, I think... To move past it too quick would be bad. Uh, I want you guys to hear and kind of hear some of the things that Katie and I went through and, and things that I'm learning, um, which there's just an endless list. And I'm like, how do I narrow this down to five minutes and still do our teaching and get into this? Um, but so I'm going to hit on a few things. Um, but it, I also want to hear from you guys, like what the, the things that you guys learned and things you guys discovered in this time. Um, the biggest thing is that we're still here and everything worked out, right? Like, <laughs> um, I'm grateful for a group of pastors. Peyton was one of those. Um, Kevin and Will and Carissa um, for their leadership. And I hope you guys enjoyed their teachings. Um, I dipped in every now and then. I would see the live feed pop up. I'm like, I want to watch it. And I was like, no, just tear away. Like, I don't want to get all involved. But, um, no, I just I want to say thank you guys for that season that you've given me to be able to um, step away and spend that time with my family. Um, it really did, I think, solidify some of the things that I want to continue to value as I move forward as a family um, and in ministry. And, um, and so it really gave that time. And so I want to just say thank you to all of you and volunteers that have made that happen to be able to do this and continue on. I'm really grateful for that season. Um, but so the first thing I did was I spent some time surfing, and I spent some time in Nicaragua with some buddies of mine that I've known for like 15 years, um, believers that I've just kind of journeyed through life with that have um, all had kids kind of the same time. And, um, and so we went on a surf trip because we'd always talked about it for 15 years. We're like, we should eventually go on a surf trip, and we just always push it off. And we finally got to make it happen together. And... Um, and it was just really refreshing just to be kind of away, but then also be with some guys that, um, uh, that love the Lord and could, I think, give me space just to kind of chat about life and chat about things that I'm wrestling with as well as like journey with them. And so that was really refreshing. And, um, and so they nicknamed my sabbatical the radical sabbatical. So from then on, um, it just got more and more radical. And so one of the things that... Um, that I really cherished was time with family and surfing with my girls. And this is a photo of the first party wave that Jason took a photo of this. Um, our first party wave with my girls, because I've like been trying to push them into waves and teach them how to surf, getting them to this point where they can do it on their own. Um, did none of the photos or anything. Oh, dang. All right. Sad day. <laughs> um, oh, well. Um, I'll, I'll post it some sometime. I didn't do any like social media posting or anything during that time, so now I'm just going to dump it all in this next week or something and just like update all my... I just keep Instagram just so I can look back on life and go, oh, yeah, this is the things that happened. But, um, but there's a party wave of us. We went surfing one day up at San Onofre, and there's just all, all three of us surfing the same wave. And I was like, this is, this is magical. I'll forever remember that moment of just spending time with the girls surfing. And so we did a lot of that. Um, and then... Um, I think like more on like a, a serious note, um, it was really refreshing to have space to basically have my routine because kids were still in school, Katie's still working, we couldn't just all bail and leave, um, to have that routine, but yet kind of look at it from a different perspective um, when you're not having all the responsibilities on your shoulders and all those things that you're looking at uh, was really good and it just allowed me to reassess 
I think my schedule, the priorities that I have as a family, um, my own like devotional time, and um, and I think kind of the the word that came out of that season was just like a reorienting of like looking at everything and going like so how do I view my calendar? How do I view uh, my daily schedule with the girls and and with Katie and friends and and just like where are my priorities and so it was cool to kind of reorient some of those things and um, and really kind of just look at it from another perspective um, and I think um, so one of the I'm just gonna quote Jason again on this but um, one of the conversations we had was like he said that um, quite often I think people need to have a like major disruption in their life to help them see what they value and what they like the fact that God will carry you through whatever season in your life. And, like, we don't wish that on people, right? But I think sabbatical is, like, a healthy disruption where you choose to disrupt life and go, what's important? What's valuable? And then you go, oh, yeah, okay, so those things can fall away, and I'll keep these things because these things are really important. And I think that's what sabbatical does. And so I guess I'm trying to sell you guys on it, that if you guys can ever, like, find even just, like, a few days where you can disrupt your schedule, disrupt what you normally do, your normal schedule, you start to see things from a different perspective, and you go, oh, wow, that's really valuable. And um, one of the things I really valued was um, I found this, like, sacred space on my back porch, and I, like, never really spend a lot of time in my backyard. Um, I always spend time working on it and trying to make it look good and trying to dial it in and everything, and it still looks like junk. But, um, <laughs> but like, I just realized that I, could, I don't always have to be working in the yard. Like, I can go back there and just enjoy it. And so I found this... Um, sacred space in just my back porch. And that was one of the photos I'm going to show you guys. It's just like this little spot where I sit. And every morning when I drop the kids off at school or at their camps or whatever they were doing, um, I would come back and just sit there and read. And, um, and I spent some time reading through another guy's sabbatical journey, this guy Henry Nowen, who's this um, legendary theological powerhouse of a guy that um, he's a priest. And, um, and I got to just kind of journey through what it means what was like for him to sabbatical and then just kind of go, oh yeah, I can relate to that, you know, of identity and all these different things. And so I just sat there and just realized that like, I don't need sabbatical to value this, you know? And so like, again, it's just those reorienting things of like, there's basic things that I need to just really take advantage of and own and make a priority. And, uh, and so it was really good. So thank you guys for that. I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, finding sacred in the ordinary is, is huge. It's just like finding those little places where we can really connect with God and really experience it. And it doesn't have to be these like mountaintop experiences where we go some crazy place and, and to experience God. God is here with us all the time. And so that was kind of my, my big takeaway from, from sabbatical in that time. And so, yeah, we're in this series where we're going through Mark and i um, super grateful for um, just all those that kind of helped in these past weeks, like as we journey through this and continue on in that um, discussion. And I hope that those studies helped further your understanding of Mark. And um, I love having different voices come in and speak here. And I hope we can continue to do that. That was one of the things I learned, I think, as a church, that we can bring in other speakers. I don't need to leave for that to happen. We can continue to do that. Um, it's one of those things we've always valued, like in having Chris and I both, like having her weave in um, in the, the teaching rotation um, and it's just, it's, it's a beautiful thing, and so I love it. Um, but this week we are in Mark chapter 9, and we're in this last portion. It starts out in verse 38, and it goes to uh, 50. And, um, <clears throat> and in this, like, journeying through this, this gospel of Mark, um, 
we're kind of just looking at like what, what did Jesus teach his disciples as they journeyed along the road, right? Like as they were journeying along, what did he start to teach them? And what we see here, and I used salt as a background, is he taught them how to get salty, all right? And we're going to unpack that a little bit. I'm not going to talk about it right now. But um, he basically taught them how to be salty in these different situations that they encountered. And we're going to read two situations here. Um, the main one is John just approaching Jesus with this, this issue that he has. And he's not very salty about it. He doesn't understand how to be um, seasoned with salt in a good way. And so um, that's what we're doing as we cruise through this. And so the first thing I want to point out is... Um, as I was talking with Matt and Carissa about like kind of the themes that have been popping up in these past few passages as um, everybody else was preaching through this, um, was this idea of like two kingdoms at play. And this isn't a new concept. We've always talked about that. There's always going to be God's kingdom, what he does of love, justice, mercy, grace, right? And then there's the kingdom where we have decisions in, where we can choose to do our own way and do things selfishly or do things maliciously or do things out of uh, greed um, and the total opposite of generosity and love and grace, right? Um, And so we as Christians are people who say we're going to choose to be part of God's kingdom, and that's what Jesus is continually teaching his disciples. Hey, Do you want to be part of this kingdom that is good, that is life-giving, or do you want to continue this destructive pattern that exists in this world? And and they're learning that, right? And we are learning that. Like that's the the beautiful thing is like there's grace in it all that we're learning how to live into God's kingdom and see it. And a couple of things that they pointed out was that there's a lack of clarity, right? That there's a few passages that'll hit on where um, Jesus heals a blind guy. He's kind of healed, and he's like, yeah, people look like trees, and I can't fully see it. I don't know if you guys remember that passage. That was in uh, chapter 8. And, um, and, and then Jesus like, puts his hands on the guy's eyes again and heals him, and now he sees clearly. So it was like this process of seeing clearly, which we're going to talk about a little bit, um, and, um, and a healing that took place that, where people were like, I, this father of this, this boy who's got an unclean spirit was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't fully have faith in this. I don't know what's happening, but help me in my unbelief. Like, help me have some faith in this. And, um, and so there's this process of, like, humility that says, I can't fully see it, but I'm going to trust God's kingdom. And so we're going to see that a little bit more right now. So um, Mark chapter 9, let's start in verse 38. Um, <clears throat> John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will will by no means lose his reward. So John essentially comes to Jesus with this challenge. He's like, these guys aren't part of our denomination. These guys aren't part of what we are doing here. They're not like fully on board, and they're doing stuff in your name. We should probably shut them down, right? And Jesus' response is like, no, no, no. Like, you need to recognize that God is bigger than what we are doing, us little crew right here, um, and expand your vision and your understanding of how God works and what he's capable of doing. Um, 
this, there's a, this is like a very common issue that we see even today, right? So what John is dealing with isn't, isn't just back then. Um, we, I don't know if you guys know this, but there are denominations, right? Like many of you are familiar with that. There are denominations in our world, um, and there are core values that we would agree on, and then there's all these other things that people would say we don't totally agree on, and that's why we're going to go our way. Um, we, as a church, as Grace and Peace, I'm just going to clarify right up front, we, like, we have things that we value, that we think are important, but we are not in competition with other churches. That's why we were able to sit here and have church with Generation, and there's three other churches that meet on this campus as well. And we all say, like, we are on board to, like, usher in God's kingdom here and make sure that Jesus is known in Oceanside, and it doesn't matter what that expression looks like. Like, we're just going to go after it. And, um, but John misses the point here. He's like, this guy's doing stuff in your name, and he's not really part of our crew, and he's kind of gone rogue, and we should shut him down, right, because he's not doing it right. And Jesus is like, no. Like, you need to love the, these people, and you need to recognize that God is bigger than that. God is still at work. Um, and uh, one of the beautiful things I got to experience uh, during sabbatical was going to other churches, other denominations. I know it scares you, right? Um, with my family, and, and I didn't realize that my girls had never been to another church, right? So they've grown up with me and Katie all their life doing whatever mom and dad do, right? And mom and dad don't have Sundays to go other places, so we don't, like, we're here. And, um, and so it was interesting for them to go, like, what church are we going to? Like, where are we going, and why are we going to this church? And they were like, is that a, like, what's a denomination? Like, we had questions like that. I was like, really? Like, I've never had this discussion with you, you know? Like, it's because generally I hop in the car and we drive separate when we come here in the morning and we're kind of like going crazy after church. And so I don't have those moments to really process with them sometimes. Immediately in the middle of what we're doing, some things that I take for granted that they don't know, right? And so one of them was they asked like, why are we going to this church that's a different denomination and what, like, what's different about them than us? And I told them, I was like, well, they believe in, you know, like listed off a few things and women aren't allowed to be in leadership there. And that was one of the things that they were like, why not? And I was like, exactly. That's why we are Nazarene, and that's why we do what we do, is because we value that. We believe that women can be in leadership, and they should be in that role. And they were like, oh, okay, so I see. Like, and I was like, do you guys see that that's still, like, they're still Christians, they still love Jesus, it's just slightly different, right? And they're like, oh, okay. And so they started to see that slight difference. Um, but something that we value that we think is important, but it's not a core value, right? Um, and so I just want to kind of point that out. St. Augustine has a beautiful phrase that kind of sums up this issue and this challenge that we can have as churches and the divide that happens. It is very, it's disgusting to me, I think. Like, I'm just not a part of that. Um, I think that um, if people are in love with Jesus and following Jesus, that's core, right? And we can talk about little nuances and stuff, but I don't think that those should be things that divide us. And um, so St. Augustine says, in the essentials, unity. So the core things of like who Jesus is, right? Unity. We need to have that unity. We have brothers and sisters around the world, right, that love Jesus. Um, and then in the non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, charity, and when Jesus says, if someone's given you a cup of water in my name, rock on, right? Like, if, if, the, if this is a person that's transforming life, that's helping somebody who's dying of thirst, rock on, right? 
Um, and, and I know that, that that could be a really nuanced conversation. We can go down a lot of that. But at its core, I believe that we need to have that kind of approach, a real kind of like big picture approach that says, we love Jesus, and we love others that love Jesus as well. Um, open for conversations and, and those discussions, but those can't be things that divide us and push people away um, because I, I know that that's a witness and a poor witness to people watching what the church looks like, that we can be brothers and sisters that love one another and care for one another um, as a priority. And serving should be a priority is what Jesus points out here. So um, so the, the gospel of Mark is continually pushing on this urgency um, Every gospel has a little bit of a nuance to it. And what we see here is Jesus moves right into, like, here's what matters. And so we're going to move on in verse 42. He picks up. Um, sorry, I'm reading from ESV. I don't know if I put it differently in here. I'll just read from the screen then. Uh, it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where the worms that eat them do not die and the fire is not quenched. Everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can you make it salty again? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with each other. There's a, um, I know I'm missing a couple of the verses in the front, but um, essentially what he's calling the, the disciples to do is this very rigorous, intense focus on staying Salty, staying focused on who and what matters most. And what he points out here is like, again, that's why I brought up the two kingdoms that there's a kingdom at play that will cause evil destruction, will cause damage. And he says, by all means, do whatever it takes, whether it's, um, I missed a couple of the ones, but like he basically says, cut off your hand, gouge out your eye, cut off your foot, whatever it takes. If those are things that are like leading you into sin, and I know that sounds drastic. We'll talk about that. Um, he says, do the drastic thing that will keep you from not falling into evil. Okay? And here's why. Um, we hear that and we go, that's crazy. Why is he so extreme? He's not literally telling you to, to cut it off. What he's saying is take it seriously. Take this like, call to following him seriously because evil is that serious. And when we lighten it and we'd be like, oh, it's just not a big deal. Like, these things that we see are the things that we're a part of. Like, it's not that big of a deal. It's just, um, you know, it's just words or it's just some actions. It'll fade away. Like, people forget. But really, like, if we recognize the value of um, what Jesus is calling us to in his kingdom, that it's called to life, that it's called to grace, that it's called to peace, to love, um, we'll start to see that those destructive patterns are really destroying the world that we live in. That when we look around and we see the damage, it's because people are fully living into this evil. And he says, if we don't take it seriously, there's never going to be an end to that. Um, and so the, um, the, the first thing that, he, that I kind of see as he is warning the disciples with this very serious call um, is that he says, avoid sin at all costs. Like, be extreme about it. That's why he uses those extreme examples. Be extreme about it because it will rob you from true life. Like, if you go down the road of sin, it will rob you of that freedom, of the thing that you truly are seeking after. It's going to take those things away. And that's where uh, we need to have that clarity of seeing the distinct two different worlds that are at play right now. 
Um, and so I mentioned that the blind man, right, that's healed by Jesus. Jesus spits on his eyes, puts his hands on his eyes, doesn't quite see clearly. He's like, people look like trees walking around. He doesn't quite see it. And then Jesus heals him again and heals him fully, and then he starts to see clearly everything that's going on. And I think there's a, like a hidden layer in there, a hidden teaching of the fact that sometimes we don't see God's kingdom fully and clearly. And we need to have Jesus transform us, wash us of the fact that we think some things are okay and, and fully understand the damage that evil causes in our world and understand how beautiful and hopeful God's kingdom is, how transforming God's kingdom is. That when we begin to truly live into it, we begin to see with restored eyes clearly where we need to head, right? Um, and so I think this like picture of like sight being restored, it was just like, it was a good reminder for me that like I need to continually have my sight restored. Like I know that I have blinders on where I think certain parts of my life are okay or the things that I watch or things that I'm a part of that I just go, oh yeah, it's just SoCal, it's just what we do, you know? Um, or we're surfers and like, I don't know, there's just all these little excuses that we come up with that justify certain things that aren't healthy for us, that aren't good. And so he uses these extremes to say, Take it seriously, like really, like begin to see how beautiful God's kingdom is and how damaging these evil ways can be. Um, I read this this commentary that I wanted to share with you guys, and I, I I'm going to put it on the screen because it's just there's so much packed this density that I think really speaks to the fact that like we live in a culture that we want to keep a good front on, right? Like we want to make sure that people see us and go, hey, everything's cool. And I think this illustration where Jesus talks about cutting things off, it's almost like a visual, like, whoa, you cut your hand off? Like, you gouge your eye out? Like, that would be a very obvious thing, that you had an issue and you dealt with it. Um, in Jewish culture, if you were missing parts of you, you couldn't go into temple. There was, like, different rules like that. So it was very, like, outward-focused. Not in a good way. That was, like, that was just legalism, right? Um, but it was a very... Um, it's just like our culture, very outwardly focused on like appearance and appearing to be holy. And so here's what this commentary says. Don't pretend everything is perfect by looking pure and whole on the outside when you're in trouble inside. It's better to make your troubles known and get help to stop them now than to lead a seemingly perfect life only to later reap the hellish consequences you have been hiding from. And that's why he references hell in there over and he's like, cut it off so you avoid hell. Cut it off so you avoid evil. So you avoid the destructive patterns that exist with that kingdom. And so I just love that commentary just saying, like, don't try and hide it. Let's bring it out. Like, let's talk about it. And we have to get to do it in a healthy way. <laughs> we don't need to just share that with everybody all the time. But we have to get to this place where we're honest and real. And that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to is like, Face it, like address it, acknowledge it, really handle what's going on in life, and don't just write off evil as like, oh, it's just this thing, right? Like take it seriously is what he's really trying to teach his disciples and really own it. And I think the, the second thing that I see in there, um, which if this sounds heavy, okay, let me just acknowledge that. That sounds heavy, right? Like what he's calling his disciples to um, there's a couple verses that I think Carissa and Kevin pointed out that the father of the child who 
was possessed by the demon, he says to Jesus, he says, um, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I would say, if you're like, this is difficult, and I don't know, I don't really see the evil sometimes, and I'm challenged by this, just know that we're all in the, in the boat together, right? Like, we're all struggling to see clearly and have this restored vision, and it's a process. So I hope I'm not just loading a bunch of weight on us right now of, like, we've got to cut the evil out of our lives. Um, we have to just, I think we have to know that there's grace in there. But there's also, like, know that we have blind spots, but Jesus wants to step in and help us in those areas of unbelief, in those areas where we need to be restored. And so um, the second thing I see there is that um, if sin continues to rule in our lives, um, it'll play a role in ruining other people's lives. And as I began to see that, that he calls an extreme... um, I guess, action to these disciples because he knows that this will ultimately translate into how people see the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God should be a place of generosity, right? Not selfishness. The kingdom of God should be a place of embracing people, not pushing people out. Um, That the kingdom of God is very beautiful and that if we have sin in our lives, that that's going to transfer into other people. And I watched that like... I know that when I was younger, um, I started going to church when I was in high school, and like junior, senior year was when I started to take my faith more seriously. And um, I was the oldest of three siblings. So um, my two younger brothers, um, as soon as I got my driver's license, that meant freedom, right? And having two younger brothers, my mom was like, you got to drive them around, you got to take them to school, you got to just drive them with you, you know? And so um, with that freedom, came a lot of what? <laughs> Responsibility that I failed to own up to. And, um, and so I saw how sin in my own life played a, what I considered was freedom, was actually um, influencing my brothers in a bad way. Um, and, and I began to just think about that. And not only my brothers, because I had this old truck that we put a bench seat in the back of it to take more people with us wherever we went and more surfboards and stuff. And I remember their friends coming along and the influence that I had in the choices that I was making to those friends of theirs. And I know that there's some that are still carrying on in the same way that we did in high school to this day. And I think back, like, I don't want to put it all on me because I don't know if that's fair, but... I know that I had an influence on their lives in a very negative way. And I know that evil in my life trickled into their life, which then trickled into their friends' lives. And I think that there's a very, I don't know, a very real um, consequence to evil in our lives. Um, That it doesn't just, it's not just us. Even the hidden sins that we have in our lives where we think it's just me, I think that trickles into the lives of others around us, that it bubbles up now and then, and then people see that and they go, oh yeah, well that's how Nate acts, you know? When he gets to the end of his rope or when he's frustrated, you know, there's all kinds of ways that those things bubble up and then begin to influence other people. And, um, and I think there's just a, a weight to it, a value to it of going like, how beautiful is it, is it that if we can live in God's kingdom and begin to share people share with people what it looks like to be gracious, what it looks like to be patient, what it looks like to be loving, how beautiful that is. 
to see someone's life go from angry, bitter, um, always trying to retaliate or to say the negative thing to being the people that say the positive thing, the uplifting thing, the encouraging thing, the loving thing. Um, there's something about that that's just so powerful. And what if our world constantly looked like that? Um, I think we need to continually have that renewed vision, that clarity of like, God's kingdom is so much better. It's so much more fruitful. It's so much more beautiful. And that's why he ends it there with that verse where he says, salt is good. Anybody who's eaten a steak knows that, right? Salt is good, <laughs> but if it loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. I think it's, like a, it's kind of a weird sentence, right? It's like, salt's good, stay salty, um, have salt among, amongst yourselves, you know, um, and then be at peace. And I was like, oh, that's interesting that like, the saltiness is tied to the peace. The saltiness is connected to how we relate to each other. So when we are super salty, people go, oh, that's got flavor. Like, when I'm around these people, there's, it's tasty, you know? Like, it's got, it's got flavor, and it's beautiful, and it's, like, it's delicious. Um, and, and in Jesus' day, salt was not only for flavor, but also a preservative. Like, so it preserved life. It preserved the fact that, like, you could keep meat far longer than it could because you didn't have a refrigerator. And so there was a preservation part to it. And I think that that's what Jesus was calling his disciples to and he calls us to is this idea that we get to bring flavor to the relationships that we have. We get to bring this preservation of life, not just to like keep things as they are, but a preservation of life. That evil comes to destroy life, to take things away. Salt comes to preserve it and make it good, make it flavorful, make it life-sustaining for the long term, right? Oh, and it's just a beautiful analogy, and I, I love it because we throw that term around all the time. Jason always talks about, we got to go get salty. And what we really mean is we got to go surfing. <laughs> and what we really mean in that layer, because like we always remind each other, like the waves could be totally flat, and we still want to go get salty. And what we mean by that is like we want to go and hang out and talk about life and what God's doing and remind ourselves, like, hey, do you, what's God doing in your life right now, like through work or whatever, or in your family? And we just talk about family and work all the time. Like, what are we doing with these areas? And how is God working in that? And that's getting salty. And I know it's gotten a term, like, in our culture. It's like, stay salty, you know. And there's also the negative side of, like, a salty dog, <laughs> um, which is a bad bad uh, connotation, but, um, but no, this idea of being salty, like, it's just, let's be those kind of people, and, um, and so the, I think the, the question I want to, I want to bring to us is, how do we be at peace with one another? How do we be salty? Um, who do you need to be salty to this week? Who right now that you uh, interact with on a regular basis needs to be at peace um, what relationship needs peace brought into it? Um, what relationship in your life right now needs some saltiness? Um, it, it takes some reflection sometimes and some, some honesty to be like, okay, there's areas in my life that maybe I'm not being completely transparent in. And, uh, and I think relationships is one of those areas where it's, it can be difficult. We can ignore it and we can be like, they're wrong, it's not me. <laughs> They're the one that needs to get salty, not me. I'm plenty salty right now. Um, but let's take some time. Let's reflect a little bit. Like, who do you need to be at peace with? Or maybe 
in generally at peace with them, but maybe there's like moments where you don't have peace and it needs to be woven in. It needs some salt, some Himalayan sea salt, <laughs> um, some deliciousness brought into that relationship. Um, I know we all have it. None of us are exempt from it. We all need to continually be saltier. Um, and so the, the reminder that the passage has been kind of milling through my brain the last few weeks is in 1 Peter 5, because he talks about leadership in the first part of this. But then he goes on in the same way, you who are younger, I'm going to say that we are all younger. All right, I'm just going to throw us all in there, even though I'm old. Um, you who are younger, submit yourself to elders, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time and cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So when we think of these relationships, know that humility is what ultimately will transform these relationships. Pride is where I always go wrong. Pride is where I try and have my way, my agenda, my whatever. Um, And it just doesn't work. And pride will continually be the destructive pattern that will cause evil, that will cause um, separation, um, and it doesn't bring peace, which is that unity, that shalom, right? Um, pride will always divide. Peace will continually, and humility will be the thing that will, divide, will bring us unity um, and bring us together. And so, um, again, if this all sounds weighty, be reminded that what Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is how to be free, how to live freely and lightly. Like, it wasn't meant to be a, a message or a teaching on, I'm going to beat you guys up really good right now. I'm going to make life super difficult. He's like, no, here's what I'm trying to teach you. Live freely and lightly. Live in the way that I've created you to live because it's so much better. Because that's where you begin to experience life to the full by being at peace with one another. And, uh, and so, yeah, just my encouragement, um, a reminder to myself as well, is that we could be a community that is salty. And so, get salty, be salty. If you need to get in the ocean this week, go get salty that way. Um, maybe that's a good escape for you to then reflect on some ways that you can get salty in your relationships, in the, the places that God's called us to be at peace with one another. Um, and And... Be tenacious about it. Know that it's going to require us to like cut some stuff out. I hope no one comes back with a hand cut off next week. But doubt that would happen. But what are some things you need to cut out? What are some things you need to cut out in order to be at peace with people, in order to bring that, that beautiful relationship, restored relationship, and restored vision of what God's kingdom looks like? Let's pray. Lord, um, we want to be fully restored. We want to have the kind of vision that sees people as you see people. Um, We want to have a vision and a restored heart for even ourselves and how we view ourselves, that we understand that you love us deeply, you care for us, you long to work through us, um, that we have influence, not because we are great, but because your greatness works through us, that you work through us to influence the people around us in beautiful, beautiful, life-changing ways. And so, Allow us to um, continually uh, access your Holy Spirit. Um, When we are weak, make us strong. Give us that strength that only comes from you. 
um, in conversations where we need to bite our tongue, where we need to say something different, where we need a change of heart, come in and transform us, renew us, make us new. And um, we just want to be that kind of community here at Grace and Peace that is so different, so different than the culture that is around us, that people see that saltiness, they see the tastiness, and they want more of it, and they want to be a part of it. And, um, and they just want to deepen their relationship with you, Jesus, because they see um, how life-giving it is. And so uh, work through us as we all scatter into the different places this afternoon and into this week. Um, work through us in beautiful ways um, and uh, give us your strength in your name. Amen. All right. Rejoice in knowing that we never walk alone. Know the grace and peace of Christ walking beside us, guiding and protecting us. Share this comfort with one another and feel his presence each moment of each day. Amen. Dig into some Krispy Kremes, some delicious donuts, or don't, (laughs) or steer clear, drink some coffee, or have some water, but enjoy the afternoon.